0: In my podcast, I will bring you interviews with not only these people, but also prominent local people who have helped shape the Hamptons. Welcome to Dan's Talks. My guest today on the podcast is Joanna Rudnick, who is an Emmy-winning documentary filmmaker and has a film giving its, I believe, world premiere here in East Hampton at the International Film Festival. And the the film will be shown on uh, October 7th at 1 p.m. at the East Hampton Library. And then again at 12.30 p.m. the next day on October 8th at the South Sag Harbor Cinema. So welcome to the podcast. And um, I'm glad uh, we got to talk about this. Tell us a little bit about the film.
1: Sure. Well, thanks, Dan, for having me. Uh, The film is called Story and Pictures By, and it's a feature documentary about children's picture books. And truly, the idea for the film came because I was a mother reading to my children and was thinking about this incredible art form, and I had never seen a documentary about it. And I had so many questions about who makes picture books, uh, why are they so unique, and um, why does some of the greats stand the test of time? And we still sure buy a good night mood and where the wild things are and snowy day and hungry caterpillar. Um, but I also really thought that the contemporary picture makers are really living in a new golden age of picture books. And so I wanted to follow some picture book makers who are living today and, and working. And I, so I follow Mac Barnett, Judy Morales and Christian Robinson. And I followed them over a the course of several years which included the pandemic and it was very hard to make a film about picture book makers in the pandemic because they couldn't be on tour and being with children so we had to work around that hiccup but it was just a delightful world to spend the last few years in and and i have just a greater appreciation than ever before for both picture book makers and the art form itself
0: well we'll just have to call it where the wild things are and see what happens well, <laughs> how did you get how did you get into filmmaking and Talk about some of the successes you've had. I, I saw that you, uh, you went to film school at NYU, is that correct?
1: I actually went to journalism school. So I come out of science, environmental, <laughs> and, and, and health journalism. And I always wanted to be a writer and I was interested in science and the environment. But during my graduate studies at NYU... I did an internship at the American Master's Series at Public Television in New York and started to work on um, celebrity and artist biopics Uh, and had just a delightful time. I produced a film on Robert Capa, the war photographer, and I got hooked because I realized you could do so much more with image and sound than you could do with the written word. And I just fell in love and I've been making documentary films ever since. The first film that I directed was with Cartemquin Films in Chicago, a social issue documentary, Powerhouse. And that was in the family. It was a personal story of testing positive for the breast and ovarian cancer mutation. So I went right into directing (laughs) my first film and telling my own story, which- Your your uh,
0: autobiography right there in the beginning.
1: Exactly, nobody should do that. And so, yeah, I've been making films for about 20 years, both producing and directing. And um, this brought me here here today, a, you know, week away from premiering my latest film in the Hamptons.
0: The films that I've seen, I uh, wanted to ask you about, where you can stop me with any any one of them was uh, on beauty and a, a good man. I think your Emmy was uh, for Robert Capo in Love and War. Is that?
1: Yeah, that film won the Emmy for um, outstanding. Um, uh, series and that went to American Masters and the Kappa film was the presenting. That was an amazing journey. I produced that film, and we filmed right after nine eleven in about five countries and all countries that uh, Robert Kappa had a had a, an amazing influence over. And uh, it was incredible to go back in time in his life on beauty. Came about because of my first film in the family which was nominated for an, an emmy we didn't lose we didn't win but that but that film i met a fashion photographer named rick gudati when i was promoting that film and out on tour with it and my film was really about these genetic mutations that live inside of you and rick gudati this former fashion photographer was photographing these gorgeous children who had these very overt genetic differences and saying why is this not beautiful and really challenging the world to see not just the images he had been photographing in fashion, but seeing the the beauty and difference. And that was an incredible film. I got to follow him around. And that took us to Africa to look at how people with albinism are treated in Africa and, and um, told the story of two phenomenal women.
0: So was that sort of a biography of that time with him?
1: Yeah, it was a biography of that time with him and, and how his work really changed the lives of those who came before his lens. And I followed two young women who were transformed by their experience.
0: Tell me, tell me a little bit about uh, Robert Kappa and uh, what his work meant in those, those times.
1: Sure. I mean Robert Capa was really um one of the first embedded war photographers. His images of D-Day are the opening of Saving Private Ryan, they're what we think of when we think of the Omaha Beach landing. He filmed the uh, he photographed the Spanish Civil War, his photograph of the the dying Spanish um, Civil War soldiers one of the most iconic images. He also founded um a photography company, Magnum Photos, and was the first person to really fight for photographers to own their own copyrights. So that was just so revolutionary at the time to say these don't belong to Life magazine or Look magazine. These belong to the photographers themselves. This is our livelihood. And he had this larger than life persona. He dated Ingrid Bergman. He was really this sort of romantic figure. He was friends with Steinbeck. So he had this Hollywood side to him. And yet he was born in Budapest. And he was this Jewish sort of uh, uh, Hungarian refugee that landed in New York and Paris, and just lived many lives in a short lifespan. He was actually the first American, I believe, because um, he had American citizenship, to die in what was became the Vietnam War. He was photographing the, the war at the time, the beginning of the war, the French war at the time, and he stepped on a landmine. So he, so much of what we think of in terms of war photography um, comes from Robert Capa and, and what he brought to that whole uh, profession.
0: How did you get uh, to meet him and pr- persuade him to let you uh, do this film?
1: Yeah, so he was no longer alive when he died in 1954 and the film was made years and years later. Ah. Um, the, it really came about through a relationship with American Masters um, and Robert Kappa's okay. brother, who was alive at the time. And Anne Makepeace directed that film. I produced it with her. Um, and she she did a phenomenal job. And uh, American Masters was really interested in, in telling the story of Kappa. And Cornell Kappa granted permission to the whole Robert Kappa archive at the um, ICP at the time, which was, I was this young, right out of film school, <laughs> looking through all of these contact sheets and finding these gems of Robert Kappa. And it was, an absolute dream dream job.
0: And and you and you got praise for it. That that's right out of school. That that must have felt great.
1: Yeah. I mean I think it 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 really taught me so much about um what I've learned from documentary filmmaking is that you know it's there's there's oftentimes no roadmaps to documentary film. So you're figuring out the way to tell a story and it's endless with story and pictures by there's so many ways to tell the story of of children's picture books. You know, you could focus on literacy, you could focus on other aspects of just how picture books are made, the publishing industry, we really wanted to focus on the picture book creators themselves, and what they brought of their own backstories to this art form, um, and also how the art form has changed over time and how what we see in picture books and who makes picture books has changed over time. They become much more representative of this very diverse society we live in. You can talk about things you never could in picture books. Uh, and the makers themselves can be who they are. And that wasn't always the case. Sendak didn't come out as gay till the end of his life, really, which is tragic. He couldn't be who he was. Um, nor Margaret Weiss Brown had both a um, female partner and a male partner and, and, and wasn't, Really, that wasn't really known out in the world, you know. It, so I think who makes picture books for kids? You can be a full human now in a way that you just couldn't in the past.
0: Of course, Dr. Seuss is probably the greatest and most successful children's book maker ever. I have grandkids and read them these books and all of them. There's one I, I've read. It was by a Frenchman. It was, it was about a man who gets angry and his head pops off.
1: Oh, I don't even know that. There's so many of them. I don't know yeah. them all. and We had to also nar- narrow our focus to, we focused on American picture books um, and the books, you know, it's endless. This should be a series. It can't really be a standalone. There's too many amazing books. We don't really talk about Dr. Seuss that much because he didn't really come up that much sort of in our characters. But of course, um, he is incredibly uh, important and so iconic and and read um so much and we really looked at kind of some of the books that really pushed the boundaries we you know as mac barnett who's one of the most prolific and really phen- most phenomenal picture book makers working today authors i should say said you know picture book makers are really boundary pushers and it's a very experimental art form and if you don't know that or you're not really reading them you may not look at them through that like it, they're subversive because they're the only place a child can win You know, children can't win in life. They don't have many rights in life. They're one of the most marginalized audience, but in a picture book, a child can win. And in Where the Wild Things Are, you know, Max can have this huge fantasy of rage and even yell at his mother. That was really boundary pushing when that came out in the early sixties. Just like Snowy Day was when Ezra Jack Keats put a black child on the cover of a picture book for the first time ever. And that was a huge omission that he wrote it and then, of course, opened up what was an all white world of children's books to be more reflective of the culture itself. And, and through the film, you really realize why it's crucial for every child to not only see what themselves and what they look like, but also even their experiences in the world. You know, divorce, having same sex parents, visiting a parent in prison. We have a book that we feature that that is that story in the film. These are, This is critical because then the child realizes that it normalizes their experience and it also allows them to process it. And it creates empathy for those who are not like them. I think that's why these books are so powerful and also really why they're being banned in many ways because of that power.
0: Did you change your opinion about uh, children's books while doing this uh, film?
1: That's a great, great question. I think the one thing I really, two things were kind of a light bulb for me in making this film. One is that I sort of changed my my idea of children, uh, which is kind of amazing. But I say, always say I learn more than any parenting book. I realized that children don't have a lot of power in this world. And that picture book, makers were really talking to that so even in talking to my own children i tried to acknowledge that more which was a very powerful takeaway and lesson from making this film and i think that i also realized that um children are able to handle so much more than we give them credit for and yeah, you know sure. rather than taking taking things out of picture books that we think are too scary or too hard for children it's so important that, they, that that we should put them into children's books because they are living in this world with us. And if we say, oh, let's not talk about that, it only makes it scarier. But if we provide these safe spaces where you're sitting with a parent, they have their arms around you, you have the, your hands on the same page, you're looking at an illustration, you're looking at the words, it truly does create um, a space and story can help children make sense of the world by giving them a beginning, middle and end and a place to process that. So that was, those were some just light bulb moments that it was such a beautiful thing to be having small children at the time. My children are now uh, grown through the process of making this film and they're mainly reading chapter books although we still do read picture books um, and some middle grade books. But the other thing I realized is just how digital our world is and how, So much of what we do is look at screens. And as a parent, I'm always looking at a screen and your kids are trying to get your attention. But the one place I put down my screen was at night with my arms around my child in this theater of reading this picture book together to give my child their full attention and to have those moments. And I think that's why picture books will never become digital because that page turn is so much a part of that theater. And without that page turn, you know, you can't just like, swipe left it's not going to feel that same way the drama isn't there so yeah
0: and the children will will also be part of turning the page they they often take over you know when they want to see what's on the next page it's
1: about what, having that power
0: yeah did, did you find anything out about the personalities of people who do these children's books that they might have in common that um, others don't have that are they so diverse is it just, was it was hard to find?
1: I mean, I think I think they're all really diverse in terms of their backstories and why they do what they do. One thing I noticed that is very across the board is how much they care. I think you think sometimes that things made for children are less than or easier or because this is 32 pages, typically, not always, um, and it's less words, it'd be easier. And I realize how hard it is. To write a really good picture book, and just how t- in touch with uh, maybe their own childhood, but also the world of children, picture book makers are. They really understand the good ones, really understand children, and they fight for children. They are the protectors of children, and they fight to be honest to children. Yeah. You know, they're sort of going against gatekeepers all the time, and they're they're really fighting for children. There's an honesty and an authenticity. Not a sweetness, you know, not a naivety, but an honesty and an authenticity and a passion for children that I think is really beautiful.
0: Did did you get into it all? Some of the, particularly some of the older fairy tales are, um, you know, they're they're pretty horror horror stricken. You know, the wolf eating, whatever, you know, the 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 duck, you know, in in the Peter and the Wolf and. Did did you come to find any explanation that made any sense for having children to be exposed to such horror? (laughs) <laughs> that's a,
1: yeah, that's a really excellent question. Um, we don't really go back into the fairy tales except for that Mac Barnett is re-illustrating Three Billy Goats Gruff. And so we do show a little bit of that one. Um, and I and I think, you know, one thing that Betsy Bird, who's the librarian who kind of guides us as one of our guides says, you know, the children's books are, are, they're, are hard sometimes and sometimes children get eaten. You know, they're hard, they're hard <laughs> stuff and sometimes children get eaten. Um, and I think that children really love that. And they, they can go there. Their imaginations are going there anyway. So I don't know if they're perceiving it quite as scary and as dark as we are as parents and adults who are trying to protect them. That's one thing. That's my takeaway.
0: So how long did you uh, work on this? Did it start out as being one thing and become another? Or did it pretty much stay what you thought it would be?
1: Yeah, so all documentaries are really a journey. We started on working on the film, really shooting the film in 2019. The pandemic put a bit of a wrench in it. I think we thought we'd be on the road a lot more with the three artists. And then during the pandemic, they had to pivot and create these sort of online shows for kids and makerspaces. So we cover that. We always knew we were going to follow these three author and, and illustrators on this journey and we knew we were gonna talk about some of the classics. I think what what the balance of, uh, of that was sort of the, the dance we were doing in the editing room throughout is how much is history, how much is present day and how do they work together? And that was really the, the balancing act in the editing room to make sure that we didn't say, this is a dead art form. All the good books were produced in the past. Let's just talk about these to really talk about now and to talk about some of the issues we're still facing in picture books, so we're not leaving you with this. word, you know, it's utopia. We still, you know, there's still fights to be had about who's being depicted in picture books and who's making picture books and who's getting the awards for making picture books. Those are all still real issues. And and banning picture books.
0: Where are picture books banned? And which ones? If you name a few.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's a huge list of picture books that are being that are that are banned, and um, the ALA keeps that list, and it's all over the country. Uh, that they're challenged or or banned, um, and you know I think picture books with LGBTQ plus content are the ones that are most banned, and those that deal with civil rights issues and and race that that seems to be where the majority of the challenges I would say the the modern day challenge you know material for for young people has always been challenged even where the wild things was banned we tell the story in the film of a a book called um, The Rabbit's Wedding, which was a story of a black bunny marrying a white bunny that was banned in Alabama because (laughs) they thought it was about interracial marriage, you know? So (laughs) yeah, this this is not, Garth Williams didn't say that, but this is, this is not necessarily a new phenomenon, but it is, a phenomenon now that has gained real steam and become political and being used by political parties. So I think right now there it's 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 a dangerous time. And some of the wins that have happened with really getting this content into picture books are being challenged. And in the film, um, one of the authors, Kyle Lupev, says whenever there's progress, there's always pushback. And I think that's the time we're in right now is there has been some, some progress, not enough, in picture books, but there's also been pushback. And I think that's what we're seeing. And Betsy Bird says the picture books get into your brain, sort of like nothing else when you're so young. So you can imagine why that could be threatening to people who don't share the worldview of what is being addressed in the, in the picture book.
0: Yeah. So what's next? You've been uh, thinking about it?
1: (laughs) Yes. uh, Always thinking about it. Uh, Working on a film right now, just loosely about, some fights in, in uh, education. And um, I'm also making two more short animated films. I did a series called, uh, I did a a personal film with my brother um, who had suffered from um, opioid use disorder. And so I'm making three films with public television called the Opioid Trilogy, where we're interviewing people in recovery from opioid use disorder about really what are some of the solutions in the future and, and and where are some of the things that we, you know, have to do better to save lives and stop this overdose epidemic. So very, very, very uh, heavy subject. And this one um, doesn't skirt away from the hard things, but also just has a lot of joy in this film. It's also a film story and pictures by that children will love and show, well, we, you know, you and I are going to say, oh, that's where the wild things are. That's Caps for Sale. That's millions of cats. You know, that's Goodnight Moon. Children of today are going to say, That's extra yarn that all these new books, you know, that's Milo imagines the world that's circle square. So it's going to be a delight for the younger audience because these are the books that they just read in their school libraries. And they're like, it's like hearing your favorite record and seeing, you know, these picture book makers are like celebrities to them. And, you know, that's kind of the reason why I wanted to focus on them and not interview a bunch of other people about which picture books they like, because I think these these people are kind of rock stars. You know, they're like Paul Simon, these picture bookmakers. They're rock stars, you know they're pretty amazing. they're certainly rock stars to children.
0: I want to uh share with you this happy time, and I will see you at one of these uh openings and maybe with one of my granddaughters with three i'll uh I will and these will be heroes for them forever. I guess.
1: Wonderful. Wonderful. She's three. But it'd be amazing if she can sit through all um, you know, 86 oh, yeah, minutes. But can. if she can't, well, that's that's wonderful. Well, I can't wait to meet her and see you there. And I want to just say thank you for this opportunity. It has just been lovely to talk to you. And I look forward to, oh, to meeting you in East Hampton.
0: Yes. Thank you very much for being on the podcast. And I'll see you soon. All
1: right. Bye thanks, then. Dan. Bye-bye.
0: Bye.